And she said, Betty Doris, many of you remember her, former member here years ago, says hi. So uh, good deal. Good to hear from the Dorises. All right. You can be opening up your Bibles to uh, Mark chapter 9. We'll be continuing our study there. Uh, do any, does anybody here like to sing in the shower? No? Do you like to take showers? Well, no? Well, that explains a lot. No, I'm serious. Do you, do you ever get soap in your mouth when you sing in the shower? Do you just taste that? That's what they call a soap opera, right? No, I got you. Got you. All right. Turn over to chapter 9 there, and let's continue to read in Mark chapter 9. Beginning of verse 33. He says, Then he came to Capernaum, and when he was in the house... He asked them, what was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent, for on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And he sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last of all servant, he shall be last of all, and servant of all. And then he took a little child and set him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name, receives me and whoever receives me receives not me but him who sent me all right jesus and the disciples are quietly passing through galilee and uh, they come to capernaum which was kind of his ministry headquarters you might say and on that way jesus were told about his suffering we already read about that last week and and his suffering and his death which he's told them once before and they're not getting it right and also on the way the disciples started a dispute, a dispute over who would be greatest. I always love this passage because these are grown men, right? And, I, you know, when you were kids, you might have had a brother, a couple of brothers, a couple of sisters, and you probably had a little argument once, well, I'm better than you, or you're, you know, I'm, are you, you know, I'm, I'm the better one. Mom loves me more, right? But these are grown men, kind of acting like kids, right? They're disputing over who's going to be the greatest. <laughs> Jesus knew about it. I can see it now. You know, they're walking behind him, kind of kicking on each other. You know, he's just letting it go until finally he says, what, what, what you guys talking about back there? You know, kind of like in the car when you're going to grandma's. What are you kids doing back there? <clears throat> and they said, we're disputing over who will be the greatest. And Jesus uses it to have a teaching opportunity, right? He says... If anyone desires to be first, he should be last. And he should be the servant of all. In other words, what he's saying is he's teaching about the kingdom of heaven, right? He's teaching to the disciples what it means to be great in the kingdom of heaven. To be great in the kingdom of heaven means to be a servant. means to be making yourself the least. Humbling yourself. Great humility serving each other not lording anything over each other not claiming to be the greatest like we see in today's world right i mean today you know it's all about get as much as you can get right uh be the best you can be be the greatest you know who's the goat greatest of all time you know they talk about that all the time especially in sports right jesus is saying you want to be great in the kingdom you need to lose yourself you need to become the least you need to become humble, right? If anyone desires to be first, he shall be last. 
He needs to be the servant of all. Greatness in the kingdom of heaven is different than in the kingdom of man. So having said that, how, uh, how does that relate to us? How can that relate to us, right? Yes, sir. Good point. Kerry's saying that they thought it was an earthly kingdom, and that's right. They're seeking to, who's going to be the greatest in this earthly kingdom? And the, <clears throat> Jesus came down, emptied himself, made himself lower than the angels, you might say, as man was created lower than the angels, and uh, emptied himself, saw it no reason to stay in heaven and come down and be our salvation, our sacrifice. So good point. Very good point. How, how, can, we, uh, how can we lower ourselves in the kingdom? How can we become humble? How is that done? Well, of course, to be humble, you got to, you know, put yourself lower. You got to be able to not exalt yourself, but uh, set yourself lower than others. Think of others. You got to be ready to share your, your, uh, your faith, right? Share Jesus. Evangelize, perhaps. Someone led you to Christ, right? Somebody taught you, whether it was your family, whether it was a friend. Someone told you who Jesus Christ was. Is that right? So being a servant in this way being someone who's willing to share being hospitable offering acts of kindness and service to others right at the very least inviting someone to a worship service that can be something that you can do something maybe you're not as comfortable teaching but that's something you can certainly do come on come with me be here with us opening your home to a bible study perhaps something like that Honing your skills, honing your ability to be able to teach others. What are some other ways of doing this? Of course, we serve through encouragement, edification, right? One of the reasons we come here on a Sunday and a Wednesday is to encourage each other. We need each other. This world's a dark and tough place to live, right? We're being sought out like, you know, sheep. The lion is seeking us to devour us, right? The one who was in the world. We have to be together. It takes more. We need numbers, right? We need people together who are like-minded, who can edify and encourage to say, come on, you can do this. Keep going. Keep on keeping on, right? Don't give up. We can begin by being here at services. That's where we start. And I know I'm preaching to the choir a little bit here, right, on a Sunday, cold, rainy Sunday morning at 9.15 in the morning. Because you're here, and a lot of folks aren't. But that's how we start, right? Perhaps we're able to teach some children. Perhaps you can do that. That's something you're maybe not comfortable doing with an adult, but perhaps teaching a child, helping them to learn what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be a disciple. Volunteering whatever service you can. Helping in benevolence cases, right? Helping anyone who is in need. Showing your kindness to those around 
here in the congregation, but also in the community that are in need, visiting the sick or elderly at home or in the hospital. Those are things we can do. Remembering service such as transportation, helping someone get to church, helping someone get to a doctor's appointment, cleaning their homes perhaps for an elderly person that can't get around very well, right? Running errands, all these things are part of that. <coughs> Ministering to those who are in need, as I mentioned. Those might be who are poor or hungry, can't seem to help themselves. Showing humility, showing that you're willing to serve others. In order to offer the kind of service that God likes, that God wants, that pleases God, we have to be humble. We have to lower ourselves. We have to uh, be like Jesus who taught his disciples in this. So we remember Jesus washed the disciples' feet many times. That was an act of humility. And, that's, and that culture, that was something you did. Obviously, they lived in a desert uh, region for the most part. When they walked around, their feet got dirty. And when you went into someone's house or about to go into someone's house, you needed to clean your feet. Washing feet was a sign of humility. It was something that the servants did. Or someone that uh, wasn't important would do that. And Jesus would do that with his servant, with the disciples. He also uses something else here to kind of teach that importance of humility. He uses a child, right? He talks about the humility of a small child who provided an example for them, right? <clears throat> when we humble ourselves like a child, it's a great example showing that we are subservient to everyone. We are in need from others. We are there to help others, right? Think about a childlike attitude, a childlike humility. Uh, we need that in our evangelism, in our edification, in our benevolence. Jesus says, you can't be great in the kingdom if you're puffed up, if you're trying to show out, if you're trying, as Kurt said, to be full of yourself. You have to empty yourself. You have to lower yourself just like Jesus Christ did. I think this congregation is very good at that. I've seen great acts of service, great acts of kindness from people in this congregation, probably some that you've never seen. As an elder, you tend to see things um, that others don't sometimes. Uh, I think we have a great set of people here. But that doesn't mean you need to stop what you're doing because others are doing it. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't be setting your mind and your heart on service, on being a servant in the kingdom, serving others and serving the Lord. Well, this is a good segue into the next part of Mark chapter 9, and let's move on in verse uh, 38 there. He says... <clears throat> Now John answered him, saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. But Jesus said, Do not forbid him, for no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For who is not against us is on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name, because you belong to Christ, surely I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. But whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. If your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It is better for you to enter to life maimed rather than having two hands. 
to go to hell into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame rather than having two feet to be cast into hell, into the fire that shall never be quenched, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. And if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye rather than having two eyes, to be cast into hellfire where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. For everyone will be seasoned with fire and every sacrifice will be seasoned with salt. Salt is good, but if the salt loses its flavor, how will you season it? Have salt in yourselves and have peace with one another. All right. Here we have John coming up and saying, Jesus, there's a fella here who's uh, casting out demons in your name. But he's not following us. What are we supposed to do about that? Do we rebuke him? Do we tell him don't do that? Jesus says no. Anyone who's doing that in my name is with us. He may not be a disciple following like you guys are, but he's doing things in my name he is a believer he's casting out demons he's able to do it so Jesus is a teaching point here <clears throat> his teaching point to the disciples is the principle that when things are done in my name and things are good we they're with us how can they be against us right how can they deny me when they're doing things in my name clearly this man was empowered to work in Jesus name so he was not going to speak evil of Jesus right he's not going to try to throw the disciples in prison is he he's not going to um, try to make trouble for him like the scribes and the Pharisees did so how can he be against them right he's saying he's forced why should we stop him now some will tend to misapply this passage right some commentators use this to deny uh, the rivalry you might say between denominations right in other words, rivalry be because someone is doing something wrong or someone is, uh, has a doctrine that's not correct. And that's not what we're getting at here. Don't get that mistake. Denominationalism is wrong within itself. John 17, 21, uh, Jesus you know, prayed that we would be unified, that the church would be together, that the church would not be denominationalized or divided. Perhaps then the more proper application should be that we should not fault individuals or churches who simply choose to do things a little different than the way we do. As long as their doctrine is sound, there's nothing wrong with doing some things different, perhaps like order of worship, you know? Well, you, you take the Lord's Supper at the end, we do it at the beginning. Well, nothing wrong with that, right? Doing a few things different. Point being, when they're for us, they're not against us. When they're doing things in Jesus' name, they're not going to do evil. That's kind of the point that we're getting at here. Don't fault individuals or churches because they do a few things different. As long as they're doing things with sound doctrine in Jesus' name, then they are with us. He also makes the point that giving just a cup of water to a servant, to one who is in need, has great reward. An application would be when we help Brethren of the Lord, he takes notice. 
He notices these things. When we support ministries, when we have fellowship in their work, he takes notice of that. Yeah, we all can't go to overseas to be a missionary, but we can support those who do. And of course, if we can go, you need to try to do that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's a good thing. <coughs> also, the application here is you better be careful about the example you're setting, especially for the young ones. It's better than for a millstone to be hung around your neck and dropped into the sea than for you to cause one of these young ones to stumble. In other words, it would be better for you to be dead. That's what he's saying. Than to cause a young one to stumble. And he's, the application can be anyone. It's not just children. you got to be careful with your example. kind of goes along when we were talking about how Paul and they had the assembly and said they're going to tell the Gentiles to abstain from sexual morality and meat that's been sacrificed to idols. And you think, well, I can understand the sexual morality part, but what's the big deal about meat sacrificed to idols? And there, there was no big deal about sacrifice, meat sacrificed to idols except that in that culture that was seen as idolatry. And so they were telling the disciples, especially the Gentiles, not to do that, not to participate in it, because those who might see that would see that as an example of how to live and perhaps think you're being hypocritical. Those things have to be watched out for. Those things have to be we have to be careful about. <coughs> Goes on to say, if something's causing you to stumble, cut it off. Your hand, your leg, your eye is causing you to stumble. Get rid of it. It's better you go into heaven without it than into hell with it. Now, obviously you can't go around cutting off our arms or our legs or plucking our eyes out because it causes us to sin. It's not really the eye or the hand or the leg that causes us to sin. It's the heart. It's what's inside us, right? Very scriptural. But there is an application that can be made here. We need to surround ourselves, perhaps, with people that will help us and not with folks or things that are going to be a detriment to us. Lots of things in this world today that are distracting, right? <laughs> All this social media stuff, there's some pretty nasty stuff out there. Perhaps you need to take precaution that you're not tempted, right? Perhaps you need to have friends that are going to help you not to be tempted, or family. Not people who are going to lead you into it. Those kind of things we can apply to this, right? Those are the kinds of things we can think about here I want to make a point Jesus taught the reality of hell <laughs> did you know that oh the world doesn't want you to know that <clears throat> yes Jesus loved everyone and he wanted everybody to come to the table he ate with sinners because they needed him but he also made the point you must repent. You must change your heart and mind or else you are in danger of hellfire. 
goes on to talk about something else there too the seasoning of salt the effects of fire you remember from James chapter 1 when James says consider it all joy when you encounter various trials it's kind of a paradox isn't it consider it all joy when you're suffering well, I don't want to be joyful when I'm suffering I want people to think I'm having a tough time I want to be mr. I know Debbie Downer not mr. Debbie Downer but you know what I mean he says no that suffering is going to season you that suffering is going to sharpen you that suffering is going to help you to endure it's not just friends and family it's not just believers that are going to help you do that but it's the things that you're going to go through and I know I know there's someone here that have been through a lot of stuff I would imagine most of you that have done that would say you're better for it now say what yeah heat temper still very good <sighs> that's a very good uh, application a very good thing to talk about Jesus says don't run away from these things they're there for you the principle is discipleship whoever is not against us is for us a cup of water in his name given he notices it's a great thing to do caring for the little ones not causing them to stumble that's a principle of discipleship radical surgery to avoid hellfire that's a principle of discipleship the seasoning effects of salt or fire those are principles of discipleship if you're gonna follow him you got to be willing to take up your cross as Kurt said empty yourself take yourself full of him and it's not gonna be easy he's not promising a smooth ride he's not promising you're gonna have all the health and the wealth in the world but he does promise that reward in the end that reward of eternal life he says it I give you eternal life I give it to you take it yeah it's it's not gonna be easy while you're here but this life's just temporary we're not gonna be here for long why wouldn't you grab hold of that promise why wouldn't you be willing to endure and I know us in America we don't have it that tough <laughs> not as much as some of those missionaries that have been out there in other places that are kind of tough on Christians all right moving on chapter 10 first one <clears throat> then he arose from there and came to the region of Judea by the other side of the Jordan and multitudes gathered to him again and as he was custom he had taught he taught them again the Pharisees came and asked him is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife testing him and he answered and said to them what did Moses command you and they said Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and a dismisser and Jesus answered and said to them because of the hardness of your heart he wrote you this precept but from the beginning of creation God made them male and female for this reason 
man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. In the house, his disciples also asked him again about the same matter. So he said to them, Whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. And if a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. All right. Well, serious problem in today's world and the world today is divorce. Divorce and remarriage, right? Its effect on children has been well documented. Almost um, half of children that divorce, that of divorce end up in adulthood is worried, underachieving, self-deprecating, sometimes very angry young men and women. How grow up in settings which parents are warring with each other after the divorce even. And of course, parents, you know, can be hurtful of each other and they're not out of the woods either after divorce. Divorce is like an amputation, right? <coughs> you survive, but there's a lot less of you. Uh, I've read so a statistic that says the average percentage change in a woman's standard of living of the, a year after divorce is about 75%. In other words, that's a good way to send a woman into poverty. Turn over to Malachi 2. Let's read a verse from there, if we wish. Malachi 2, verse 16. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce, for it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit that you do not deal treacherously. All right. I want you to pay attention to those words there. God hates divorce. But it, Malachi goes on to say it's dealing with treachery. All right, divorce causes treachery. Does not always heal things, right? <clears throat> and even though there's a lot of problems with divorce, remarriages cause problems too, especially in this world and in the eyes of God. There's all kinds of social and psychological effects, but there's also spiritual concerns too. <clears throat> What's happening here? Well, you've got Jesus teaching, and you've got some Pharisees coming out to test him. They want to talk about divorce. They want to try to trick him. Right? At that time, there were among the scribes, there were two schools. You've probably heard about this, the school of Hillel, who taught that a man could divorce his wife for pretty much any reason. Didn't matter. And then you had the school of Shammai, another scribe, who said divorce could only be permitted in the case of fornication. So there were two different schools. Therefore, the scribes and Pharisees kind of know any answer that Jesus gives is going to offend somebody, right? It's going to have an effect. If he takes the lax view, the Pharisees are going to say, well, what's this about all your spiritual morality and your, you know, saying you're the son of man and all this stuff if you say you can divorce for any reason. And then on the other hand, if he takes the other view, you know, they could probably use that against him, too. And you're going to have the crowd that's not that's upset of it because, they're, you know, divorce was rampant. Remember, we just talked about in Mark 6, Herod divorced his wife. 
It was rampant in that society the same as it is today. You know, we tend to think we've got it pretty bad, but it's been bad all along. Jesus' response is not something that he's going to say to appease men. He's going to say something to honor God. <clears throat> he says, what did Moses teach you? What did Moses command you? It says, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate, a divorce, and dismiss her. All right, they understood Moses to permit divorce if a certificate was given to his wife. Let's go read about that. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 24. Let's see what we're getting at here. Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It says, When a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her, and he writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand, and sends her out of his house, when she has departed from his house and goes and becomes another man's wife, if the latter husband detests her and writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, then her former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she's been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord God is giving you as an inheritance. This is what they're referring to. This is what Jesus is referring to. All right. Point I want to make about this is, even though Moses permitted man to divorce his wife, it was not meant to be just for anybody just to go and do it. If you notice that passage, actually talks about if a man divorces his wife and she marries another man, and then that man either divorces her or dies, the first man can't take her back. That's an abomination of the Lord to the Lord. The point being, a woman was not to be just passed around. And she had become an adulterer. She'd been defiled. Defilement, word, another word for adultery, Leviticus 18. You can see that in other passages. <clears throat> Jesus says, look, that was not the intent from the beginning. That was not the way it was. God made them male and female. And by the way, remember that. Not male and male, female and female. And he says, what God put together, let not man separate. God instituted marriage. Did you know that? The state didn't do it. Supreme Court didn't do it. Government didn't do it. God did it. It comes from God. Permission to divorce was something that Moses allowed them to do because they were very hard-hearted. That's what he says right here. Turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 9. I want to give you an example of what I'm referring to there. Deuteronomy chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. <clears throat> Hear, O Israel, you are to cross over the Jordan today and go into dispossessed nations greater and mightier than yourself, cities great and fortified up to heaven, a people great and tall, the descendants of the Anakim, whom you know and of whom you heard it said, who can stand before the descendants of Anak? Therefore, understand today that the Lord your God is he who goes over before you as a consuming fire. He will destroy them and bring them down before you, so you shall drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord has said to you. Do not think in your heart, 
after the Lord your God has cast them out before you, saying, and notice this, because of my righteousness, the Lord has brought me in to possess this land. But it is because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord is driving them out from before you. It is not because of your righteousness or the uprightness of your heart that you go in to possess this land. But because of the wickedness of these nations that the Lord your God drives them out from before you and that he may fulfill the word which the Lord swore to your fathers to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stiff-necked people. Man. You ever thought the Israelites deserved the promised land? <laughs> no way. They are stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. He gave it to them because of that promise he made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because the people were there were being judged. He had a purpose for it. It wasn't because of their righteousness. It wasn't because of anything they'd done. Moses came off the mountain and there was a golden calf made for crying out loud. These were stiff-necked, hard-hearted people. And Jesus says, that's why Moses allowed you to do this. But it was not to be that way from the beginning. From the beginning, it was to be man leaves the mother and father and joins his wife, and they become one flesh for life. Permission to divorce is only temporary. From the beginning, it was not so. The law of Moses was temporary, remember? We talked about that a lot when we studied Galatians. Sure, it's our tutor. It's our help. But the law of love was the intent from the beginning. Jesus came, died for us. We love him, therefore we obey. Therefore we follow him. We are disciples. Marriage should be honored as life. <clears throat> Mark doesn't mention it. Matthew 19 does. He says, except for fornication. So Jesus would, I guess you could say, agree with the, house, the, the school of Shammai and that fornication was really the only reason to get, uh, for divorce. But since the beginning of creation of God, he made the male and female. And that's the point I want you to get here. Marriage is for life. Yeah, I know, things happen. You have to deal with them on a case-by-case -case basis, I guess. There are things you have to deal with in this life. Marriages, things happen to them all the time. Jesus' point here is God instituted this and it's for life. It's for you, for you to have a partner to go through this life with until you become one flesh. Disciples say, well, it's better that we don't even marry then. What's the point? You know, This is hard because it was a hard thing. Yeah, it's a hard thing to deal with. Jesus goes on in Matthew 19 to describe becoming a eunuch perhaps then. Celibacy is an option. Remember, we're not animals either, right? We are human beings created in the image of God. We've talked about that. We have the ability to reason. We have the ability to discern. We have the ability to resist temptation. We have the ability to live a life to the glory of God. You say, well, I, I, what am I going to do, you know? 
my spouse left me or my spouse did this or that or whatever. Remember, you're only here for a very short time. Now, I know when you're in that situation, that's a hard situation to deal with, and I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you what you do or not in every situation. All I'm telling you is Jesus said this is the way it was from the beginning. And that certificate that Moses gave was something because of the way the Israelites had become so hard. And if you think about it, to divorce somebody really takes a hard heart, doesn't it? Now, there may be someone here who's been in that situation. I understand. But if someone comes to you, uh, if someone has, you know, offended you, sinned against you, whatever, and they come asking forgiveness, and you reject that, perhaps, that's a tough deal. That's what we're getting at here. Don't be hard-hearted. Marriage was intended for life. From the beginning, it's been that way. He was addressing that with the Israelites. We are human beings. We are in the image of God. We can forgive. We can give glory to God. We can discern and we can make decisions based on what is the best thing to do. All right. I need to get to the next lesson, but we're out of time, so we'll start there next week on uh, in Mark 10. Hope you've enjoyed the lesson. Thanks for being here. Time is up.